Father, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I ask that you move as we hear from you. Um, Father, there's a lot going on with it being uh, Halloween and, and just the, the weekend that's busy. And so, Father, I pray for the next few moments we focus our hearts and our minds on you. Help us hear from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's read. We're going to cover the, the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel 16. All right. Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? We remember Saul was the king, first king ever in Israel. He looked the part, but he failed the role. Wasn't obedient. God rejected him. Here you have Samuel mourning. He's still sad about this, but God's doing a new thing. and He's saying, hey, Saul, it's not time to cry. It's time to move. It says, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. It's never a good idea to anoint the next king when the current king is on the throne. Samuel knows this, so he asks a good question. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? In peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. People do not see what the Lord sees, for people see the, what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shema, and Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Jesse has a problem, the opposite problem I have. He has all sons, I have all girls. None of them fit the role. Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these the sons you have? They're still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Man, he had so many sons he forgot about one. You find that interesting? Samuel came looking for a king. He knew one of the boys of Jesse, but one of them didn't get invited. That's there on purpose. He's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down till we eat. Uh, we won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had a beautiful eyes and healthy, and he was handsome appearance. When you read that, what this is translated is this is a cute kid. This, is a cute, this isn't king material. You wouldn't have picked this guy to be the next king. He doesn't look the part, but he fits the role. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set off and went to Ramah. There's a few things that I want us to see here in this passage. There's a few things that I want us to see here in this passage. Number one, God is working, so I will trust Him. God is working, so I will trust Him. It's an interesting thing. Where is David? He's keeping sheep. That's not an exciting job. As a matter of fact, you don't want that job. You want to know how David got that job? He was the youngest. Brothers were picking on him. Dad had a role for him that nobody else wanted, so he got it. 
hey, man, you're getting on everybody's nerve. Go out with the sheep. You keep the sheep. But you want to know what was happening? As David, think about this, day in and day out, David is out with the sheep. When one runs off, he has to go and get it. When something comes and threatens the lives of the sheep, he's the one that has to protect it. When the sheep are hungry, he's got to lead them to the right pasture. When it's raining, he gets wet. When it's cold, he gets cold. This is not a fun job. And that's exactly where God wanted him because he was preparing something in him. It's what I call David's time in the pasture. Nobody wanted the role. That's exactly where God had him. While David was keeping the sheep, God rejected Saul as king. When David was keeping the sheep, God had called Samuel to go select another king. When David was keeping the sheep, Jesse had all of his boys over for a dinner, but David was keeping the sheep. Do you see how God is working? Moving, getting people in the right spot, all the while David is getting up and his morning looks exactly the same. Day in and day out. It's mundane. Gets frustrating, doesn't it? You guys ever been in the pasture? You might be there now. It might be your work, it might be your school, it might be a class. Just mundane. Day in and day out. Monday's coming. It's going to be the same, and yet never forget God is at work. And if God is at work, I'm going to trust Him and then take the next step. What did David learn in the pasture? What do you think David learned while keeping the sheep? What do you guys think? Confidence. Confidence. He was able to do a job. Keep working. Yeah, a little bit of discipline in the pasture, right? The sheep do not care if you're sick or have a bad day. Sheep are going to be sheep. What else do you think he learned? What do you think God was shaping in him? Faith? Faith. Leadership. Leadership. Learned how to protect and provide for sheep. He learned courage. You'll hear skillful hands. You're going to see that come to play. Endure hardship. Perseverance. If you're going to be a king, you better learn how to do that. It's an amazing thing. You, you know, if God were to come to us and say, hey, uh, I need you to prepare a king, I don't think any of us would pick, hey, you go out and keep the sheep for training. And that's exactly what David needed. Isn't that interesting? And, and you know what? God has a role in mind for you. And while your pasture might not be keeping sheep, it might be as monotonous as it. It might be as lonely as keeping sheep. It might be unwanted. Nobody might be around. You might seem unnoticed. And that's, that's exactly where God does His best work. And honestly, when, when you think about it, you know when Jesus showed up, the King of kings and Lord of lords, where was He born? Yep. Not too many people noticed, did they? You would think the king of kings would be born in a palace, right? It's not how God works. It's in the ordinary, everyday life that God is at work. And because we know that, we'll trust him. 
And we'll take the next step. There's a couple of verses I want us to know. If you're taking notes, if you have your phones, write these verses down. Number one, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who have love Him and are called according to His purpose. God works together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28, that is a promise given to His people. God is at work. For your good and His glory in your everyday life. That gives us purpose to get up. Gives us a reason to keep moving forward. Number two, Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. David thought it was an ordinary day when Samuel came, and yet God had prepared him for that moment. You never know when Samuel's going to show up. But you do know that God is at work. He's got things prepared for us. That we walk in them and bring glory to Him. And then the third and final one, 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So not only was God at work in the circumstances around David, God was at work in David. And we talked a little bit about the characteristics that God was creating. But understand this, God, if you know Jesus is creating in you a transformation that will take a lifetime to look more and more like Jesus. And he uses the everyday life to keep chipping away to help you look more and more like Jesus. And so check this out. 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's called sanctification, looking more and more like Jesus. So don't hate your time in the pasture. When you think nothing's going on, God is refining you. And this is very, very important. I was walking, uh, I guess it was uh, two weeks ago. Um, Dia, our, our, my mother-in-law was sick and couldn't come over to watch Dia, and I had Dia and I walked her down the road and back, and it was an amazing thing, the remembrance of Ava when she was that young. But you want to know when I had Ava, what I wasn't thinking? Ah, oh, this is just a quick phase. One day she'll be old enough to walk herself. Won't have to change diapers or feed her formula. But in the day-to-day -day life of raising a baby, it gets tiring. Long nights, dirty diapers, feeding, crying, Day in and day out. And you want to know what's easy to think? This is never going to change. And you want to know what God reminded me? Walking Dia, eight months old now, sitting up, not walking. Hey, time flies. You want to know what God develops when you're changing a diaper? Humility. You want to know what God develops when you're changing a diaper? Love you got to love a baby to change what's in that diaper. And it's an amazing thing how I, I thought I was unselfish until I had Ava. And with every kid, I thought I was unselfish until it's called to lay down what you want to do and pick up what they need to have happen. And so sometimes a pastor's having a baby. Sometimes a pastor's a marriage. A healthy marriage, a good marriage. It's a day in and day out. Choosing to lay down what you want and pick up what your spouse wants. Learning how to serve. That's a good arena where God teaches us to be more and more like Him.
But it's day in and day out. Julianne sees me at my best, sees me at my worst. Mundane, every day. Who's picking up the kids today? Who's washing the dishes today? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Day in and day out. It's a lot like a pasture. It's an amazing thing what God develops in that pasture. Could be your job. Could be school. Tell me how tiring first period is. Or second. Or third. Tell me how tired it is teaching gym all day to students that won't do anything. Hey, man, just come out and play kickball. Won't come out and play kickball. All right? You could share some at your work. Man, does God even know what I'm doing here? I'm writing this. I'm doing that. I'm going here. I'm fixing this. Meeting after meeting. Man, don't despise the pasture because you know God's at work. So I want you to think day in and day out of how you can trust him and then take the next step. David didn't waste his time with the sheep and God used it. God used it to change his life. So God is working, so I will trust him. But then secondly, what we see, God is observing, so I will glorify him. God is observing, so I will glorify him. Let's look at verse uh, seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. Now, that's a very, very hard thing for us. It's a very, very hard thing for us. And it's also a hard thing for Samuel. Who anointed Saul? Do you guys remember from last week? The first king, the king before David, who anointed him? Starts with an S. Samuel anointed Saul, right? And he goes to him. And check out the description we have of Saul. He had a son named Saul, and an impressive young man. So Saul is an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. So if you're going to pick somebody based on looks, it's Saul. The Bible says that there's no one as impressive as him. And then it goes on, he stood a head taller than anyone else. There's nobody like this guy. Dad was a prominent figure. He stood out. He looked the part. And yet God had just rejected him as king. And yet it's the same guy, Samuel, who's a man of God, a prophet for God, a mouthpiece for the word of God, gets to Jesse and he has the oldest one come by and he's like, there's my man. And God has to remind him again, hey, you're looking at the wrong things. And I think that's a tendency for all of us. <coughs> Let's look at our own life. Are you focused more on appearance than you are on what's inside? Are we focused more on our appearance than what we are inside? Our bank account is outside. And sometimes we judge somebody as important if they have a bigger bank account than a smaller one. That's an appearance. That's not how God judges. Focuses on clothes, what you drive, what shoes you have. Focused on appearance, not what's on the inside. How focused are you on your heart? your motives, and the thoughts of your mind. Here, here's the scary part. The warning Samuel had, I've been warned about before too. Let's keep reading, and then I'll come back to when God reminded me of this. Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. I grew up in a church. We had about 2,000 people. And I was working, we were taking down tables, and I was working with one of the deacons that looked the part. Shows up on Sunday in a suit, shirt, tie, suit, looked the part, would 
take, uh, this was back when they went offering and they went aisle by aisle by aisle. Every uh, so often he was on the rotation where he had to pray in front of everybody. Looked the part, but taking down a table and hearing him cuss and complain about how he had to do this job shocked me. Because I knew the words that were coming out of his mouth were flowing from a heart that had no respect for God. I was reminded of that again when I wrote letters out to husbands asking for some advice in marriage because they were on down the road and the marriage looked good from a distance. But then you come to find out that, man, he's not loving or serving his wife. He's not leading his family to love God. It's an amazing thing how people can fake appearance. And it's also an amazing thing how much stock we put on appearance. God has no problem seeing exactly who we are. And that is a terrifying thing. And the good news is Jesus did something about it. You see, because God sees our hearts, He sees that none of us can approach Him. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom. Lays his life down, paying for our sin. Paying for our hearts that were rebelling against God. And then as you turn to Christ, you get a new heart. And the righteousness is given to you from Jesus because he took our unrighteousness on the cross. You see, God is always watching. He knows exactly who you are. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And because He is watching, let us say we will glorify Him every second of the day. I'll tell you when it was also a challenge. We were coaching basketball. This was, I think, my second or third year coaching freshman basketball. Yep. Trace, my man, was an assistant coach with us. We had a guy that showed up to tryouts. And when you do tryouts, one of the hardest things is cutting guys, especially as a freshman coach, because you don't want to cut someone their freshman year if they have potential. If they have potential, they might be able to help the team too. You might have to take on some projects, but they got potential, you want to keep them, see who you can go. So we always look at grades, we look at behavior, see if they'll weed themselves out. Well, we got down to about two or three guys, and we did two on two, and we did three on three, and we did five on five, and every time this guy touched the ball, when he shot it, it'd go in. He had the best two-week tryout I've ever seen for a kid that can't play basketball. So we kept him and come to find out this guy was selfish. It was all about him. And obviously when he didn't play, he got mad and would pout and talk crap about the team and bring people down. And Then one time in the cafeteria, he got in an argument, got in a fight and took our assistant principal's coffee mug and threw it at a guy. Now, you know he didn't hit the guy because he really couldn't shoot, except for two weeks at a tryout. And this coffee mug hit the wall, put a dent in the wall, and he got suspended and kicked out. But you want to know what you can't do as a coach? You can't tell who's going to be a good teammate and who's not. Now, there's, there's some things you can notice in a two-week tryout. But, man, it's hard to see people the way God sees people in it. God has no problem seeing us. He knows exactly who we are. Hey, and none of us deserve to be on the team. And yet in Jesus, you got a spot. Isn't that good news?
Amen. All right, so I, I, I want to read. There, there's a psalm. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, this is David writing. Psalm 139, and it uh, talks about how God sees him. Psalm 139. And I think this is a good prayer, and you'll see in verse 23 and 24 something that we should be praying. Psalm 139, verse 1. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. That's true of God. He knows when you wake up. He knows when you go to sleep. He knows what you're thinking, what you're thinking even right now. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live in the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night shines like the day. Darkness and light, and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And then we're skipping down to our prayer. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. That is a great prayer. Lord, search me. Search my heart. See if there is a way that is dishonoring to you. Turn from it. Lead me in the way of everlasting. David knew God was watching him while he was keeping the sheep. Isn't that an amazing thing? And we know that God was watching. You see, Samuel, and I believe chapter 13 gets a word from God saying, hey, I've rejected Saul, but I found this guy a man after my own heart. And elsewhere in 2 Chronicles, we're told that God's searching the earth, looking for those whose heart is wholeheartedly His. Isn't that an amazing thing? God looks at your heart. Is your heart focused on the glory of God? What has your heart captured right now? What do you go after? What are you most passionate about? What's most important to you? Could be another person. It could be a thing. could be a promotion. My prayer is that it's Jesus. And God knows what your treasure is. And it's not, if it's not Jesus, you can make Jesus your treasure today. God is looking for people who are wholeheartedly His. It's an amazing thing. You see this in the Bible. You've got a couple of examples. You guys remember Joseph? Joseph, he had a lot of brothers too, like David. But his brothers were jealous of him, sold him into slavery. Ended up with this guy named Potiphar. As he was serving Potiphar, he was falsely accused, thrown into prison. And as he was in 
prison. He was able to interpret dreams, but the guys forgot about him, left him in jail for two years. And then finally, Pharaoh had a dream. And they come to Joseph. It's an amazing thing what happens in the life of Joseph. Joseph refused to do what was evil because he knew it was a sin against God. So Potiphar had a wife and this wife wanted to sleep with Joseph. And it says day after day, she would attempt to grab Joseph. And it says one day she had emptied the house. Nobody's around. Nobody will know. And she goes to grab Joseph and Joseph's response isn't, well, if we can get away with it. It's how can I do this evil thing and sin against God? Joseph's in a foreign land as a captive. The house is empty. And he knows God is there. It's an amazing thing when we realize and remember that God is observing. He's always with his people. So may we glorify God. You also got the example of Jonah. Jonah thought he could run. How'd that go for him? Got eaten by a whale. Right? And then spat out to do exactly what God called him to do. It's an amazing thing. The church needs to remember. God's looking at your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows exactly what your motives are. And he won't settle anything, for anything less than all of your heart. And who else would you give it to? There is nobody else or nothing that's worthy of your heart except the God who created you, the God who died for you and who's living and reigning and ruling and will bring you home. Because God is observing, let us glorify Him. And then I, I think this example is helpful. Stop signs and stop lights hit differently when there's a policeman behind you. Right? For me, a stop sign is a hesitation sign if there's nobody behind me, especially when you're coming down Eastern Avenue and there's a stop sign on every street. All right? So, policeman behind me, listen, I'll, get, I'll do the referee count. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three. All right, let's go. Right? I make sure it's a good stop. A yellow light. When there's no policeman around, it's a challenge. Right? It's a challenge. I think I can get through this light. I think I can get through this light. And thankfully... Especially if it's a long yellow light, I get through it. If it's not, I just say, well, that's a short yellow light. It's the light's fault. If there's a policeman behind me, it turns yellow, I'm stopping. We're stopping. When a policeman's behind me, everybody's buckled up. Now, you should be buckled up regardless. I have a tendency to forget to buckle in my truck because there's no sound when you don't buckle up. All I need is a little warning or a ticket. Then I buckle up. It's an amazing thing the influence a policeman has on our driving when he's around. Now, this is what, I, and I want to be careful with this illustration because I don't want you to think God's just waiting to rub your nose and stuff. But I want us to be motivated and changed because we know God is watching. And because God is watching, all of a sudden now there's a purpose to my school day. There's a reason why I'm out front at Holmes High School from 7.15 to 8.10 to the doors shut and lock and first period starts where I can encourage and pray for students as they walk in. There's a purpose to it. There's an opportunity to glorify God even if nobody else notices the students walking in. And I learned this cutting grass. Nobody cares 
about cutting grass unless it's not done or it's sloppy. We're at this lady's house. Norma Pope is her name. Huge yard. Huge yard out in Florence. And I'm in the back. Dad always put me in the back. Right? He has a better mower. He's a better mower. His looks better. He always puts me in the back. Nobody sees the back. And Norma's an older woman. She's not getting out, getting in the dirt, walking all the way to this backyard. And there's a piece of plastic. It's one of those little Debbie plastics, right? And I'm cutting, and, and I'm on the walk behind with my Velky, which is the wheel, and I'm just flying. I'm making good time. I always took it as a challenge, tried to beat Dad in the backyard. And then he gets down in the front yard. So I'm moving, I'm flying, and I see it. And on the first row, I go down, and I hit it where the blades blow it and blow it over. I'm like, ha, go down, come back, see it again. Hit it with the blades where you get that wind, blows it over again. I'm like, I'm just going to do this all the way. But then it got to the point where I had an opportunity to run over that thing. And I thought, nobody will notice. Miss Norma never comes back this far in the backyard. This plastic will be shredded up. I feel like I'm recycling it. Compost, right? And, and I'm rationalizing all and then God convicted me, seriously. God convicted me and saying, what are you doing? You have an opportunity. So this time, I stopped the mower, went out, and I wasn't happy about it. But I stopped the mower, went out, picked it up, put it in my pocket, and I kept going. If I had a better attitude and remembered that the whole point of cutting grass is to glorify God, that whole situation would have gone differently. I want us to remember in the mundane life of the pasture that we have an opportunity to glorify a God who always watches. And He rewards those who follow Him. You see, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. It's not a duty to serve God. It's a delight. And God's watching. So let's glorify Him. And then finally, God is empowering. So I will depend on Him. The last verse. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. That's very important because we're going to see David do some awesome things, and we're going to be like, man, David's got some skills, and he does. But David is an ordinary guy, and the difference is his extraordinary God. The Spirit of God enables David to do exactly what God called him to do in the first place. And what is true of David will also be true of you and me. God has called you to a certain purpose. There's a plan for your life to bring God glory. And the only way you're going to live it out is through the Spirit of God. You cannot please God in your own strength. It's only through the Spirit of God. And we see this again and again in the Bible. When... Samuel was coming to anoint a king. He was scared to death. He had to depend on God. Did you guys see that? Hey, just go today. You're going to sacrifice so you can go anoint David. He was paralyzed by fear. When he depended on God, he got through his fear. We see this with David and his enemies in the future. I'm not going to go in depth with that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a furnace. And they depend on God to save them. Their obedience flowed from a dependence on God. Daniel in a lion's den. He doesn't survive because he didn't look appetizing to lions. He survived because he depended on God. And this is again and again and again in the Old Testament. Joseph depended on God. Joseph in the prison says that God was with him, that God gave him favor. Even the prison warden favored Joseph, and he didn't worry about anything under Joseph's care because he knew God was with him. 
He raises in the ranks in Potiphar's house because God was with him. And then Pharaoh hears. And listen to his response to David, or to Joseph, who rises to second in command in the most powerful nation at his time. This is what Pharaoh has to say of him. Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? Joseph was able to do awesome things, not because of his skill, but because of his God. And everybody recognizes it. We live in a world where we pump us up. Look at me. Look at how great I am. God will not share his glory with anyone. If you are out there flexing, you might get some glory, but you're not going to do anything extraordinary. You want to know when you'll be used in a mighty way by God? When you're focused on his glory. And David was focused on his glory while keeping sheep when nobody was watching. So he could be used for his glory when everybody was watching. That's how a king is made. That's how the Christian life is. Glorify God in secret and in public. And you do it through relying on the Spirit of God. There's a scary story in the Old Testament. A guy by the name of Samson. Strongest dude to walk the planet. Did some awesome feats. But he made the mistake one day of thinking his power was from himself. So he's with this girl and says, hey, this is where my power comes from. Cut his hair. Power didn't come from his hair. The power came from his God. The hair represented a covenant he had made with God. He says, hey, the Philistines are on you. And Samson said to himself, I'll get up and escape just as I have in the past. And the Bible says he did not realize that God was no longer with him. That's a terrifying place to be. He wakes up and thinks he can do it on his own strength, in his own power. And he's captured. But God didn't leave him forever. He comes back in power. But Samson's life is a reminder. If you're going to try to do this in your own strength, you will fail miserably. If you think, and if I think, we can do this in our own strength, we'll end up like Samson. Don't waste your life trying to do better. Don't waste your life thinking you can please God on your own. The Christian life is a life of dependence. So obedience flows through being filled with the Spirit. And this is where I want us to connect. John 15, New Testament. John 15, I want to see how this connects. Being filled with the Spirit. You have in the, the Bible, do not grieve the Spirit, do not quench the Spirit. That has to do with obedience. Right? The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, and if you ignore it, that's called grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit. Right? Don't do this. This doesn't honor God. The Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin. When you ignore it, you're grieving, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. The Bible encourages us to be filled with the Spirit. In John 15, we see this, and I want you to, to see this picture, the vine and the branches. How much can we do without God? Nothing. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is speaking. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Right? We can do nothing without God. Eternal value, nothing. Pleasing God, nothing. Without Jesus. And then it goes on, my Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So we can't do anything without Jesus, but God is glorified by this we produce much fruit. 
And so I want us to see this. A dependent life on God isn't a life that says, well, God will show up and do something. No, it's an active life, empowered by the grace of God. Paul said it this way, I work harder than anyone, but it's not me, it's God at work in me. Remaining in Christ is the key to bearing fruit. Being filled with the Spirit is the key to having a productive Christian life. And then we go on and we see in verse 11, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. If you're going to produce fruit, have joy, it's going to be because you're filled with the Spirit. And it's an amazing thing how this passage, Vine and the Branches, is sandwiched between Jesus promising to give another helper. So just as Jesus was with the disciples, when they had questions, they'd ask him. When the boat was sinking, they'd ask him to save him. When Peter was walking on water and sinking, Jesus raised, reached out his hand and helped him up. And Jesus says, hey, another helper. So like Jesus helped the disciples, the Holy Spirit will help us and empower us. But it comes through depending on Jesus. And then we see in chapter 16 what the Holy Spirit does. It's an amazing promise. But isn't it a challenge to live a dependent life? A lot of times we like to think we can do it on our own. We can do it our way. I know what's best for me. I'm going to do this. I don't care what you say. I would say that's the anthem of our country right now. But the dependent life is radically different. If we're going to glorify God, it will be through the Spirit of God. And here's the awesome promise. God empowers, so let's be dependent on Him. We're going to see David do some awesome things. But he doesn't do it on his own. He does it through his God. I think this is a, a, a great quote. This comes from Heath Thomas, speaking of David relying on God. If a sheep thrives, it is always because of the care of the shepherd, not the skill of the sheep. If a sheep thrives, it's always because of the skill or the care of the shepherd, not the skill of the sheep. David knew this intimately, that the Lord was his shepherd, and he embraced it. You want to know why God used David in a mighty way? He used David so that God would get the glory. You remember what Saul was doing? When God rejected him, he was building a monument to himself. Saying, hey, this is, this is what I've done. Not too many people know Saul. A lot of people know the story of David and Goliath. It's an amazing thing what happens when you live for the glory of God. When you're focused about making the name of Jesus known, watch out. Because that's exactly the kind of people God uses. So, with this, we've covered a lot of ground with the anointing of David as king. Three things. God is working, so I will trust Him. And that might be where you're at this morning. Maybe you're stuck and you feel like you're in a rut and it's day in and day out the same stuff. You wonder if God sees you. You wonder what's going on. Does anybody notice? What's the purpose of this? I feel like I've been stuck here forever. You know that's the story of our church. We started in 2013 and didn't have a building of our own until 2017. That's life in the pasture. Trying to figure out where we're going. But you want to know what God was doing? He was working in Oakland Avenue, wasn't he, Richard? 
Richard was the music minister here. Richard had a meeting with a guy who called me, and then we had a meeting back here in the kitchen. This was before the Lego wall. This was before the nursery. This was back when the kitchen was a kitchen. And he said, hey, man, we have a building. We don't care what you do. We need you to come and let's have church. You see, God was at work while we were having a service at 1 o'clock, which is a terrible time for football fans and families. So that's right about nap time. But you want to know what's hard? Sunday in and Sunday out. 35 people show up, and you're like, man, and half of those were family members. Like, oh, this is, this is a little bit tough. Is God doing something? Yeah, God's at work. So trust him and take the next step. You remember when music was led by a speaker? I do. And half the time the speaker wouldn't work right, or the screens wouldn't work. But God was moving at a man at Holmes High School who would connect us to a drummer and to a pianist, and then his son would come and help lead worship. You know, it's a funny thing. It doesn't take long when you're in the pasture to forget that God's at work. It's a hard place. And that might be where you are today. And my encouragement to you, and and listen, I, I don't say this lightly, because when you're in it, it's hard. Trust God. He's at work. And then there, there might be another group. Your heart's far from God right now. You might be in the room, but you don't want anything to do with God. And you can fake this Sunday in and Sunday out, but God knows exactly where you are. And God is after your heart, and He's inviting you to Himself. And what you're searching for will be found only in Jesus. And so my invitation to you is to glorify God with every breath He gives you. And then, finally, God is empowering. You might be tired. You might be frustrated. You've been doing a lot of things in your own strength. The invitation to you is depend on the power that God gives. That might mean saying no to some things. might be saying yes to some things. But don't go in your own strength. Rely on God's power to do what God's called you to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your church that's gathered this morning. Lord, I pray that you move. Father, I pray for all of us in the room that we know that you are working in our day-to-day lives. I pray that we trust you that will glorify you, that will lean on your power and not our own. Father, I pray that you move in a special way. Father, if someone here, their heart's far from you, I pray that you draw them to yourself. Ultimately, Lord, you are the good shepherd. And it's your son who laid down his life for us to save us. And so, Father, I pray that we lean on him, that we love him, that we serve him, and one day... We'll worship Him when we see Him together. It's in His name we pray. Amen.